welcome to Table Talk. Today we're talking about personhood and especially about personhood in connection to the origins of life, human life, the baby in the womb. I'm going to read from Psalm 139 and verse 13. The psalmist says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We're going to begin by worshipping God as we sing together from Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. The psalmist talks about how we are created and about our unique personhood. For you, O Lord, created me, you wove me on your loom. My inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. Because I am wonderfully made with all your praise I'll tell. Your workmanship is marvellous, and this I know full well. When in the secret place my frame was made before my birth, you saw my body yet unformed within the depths of earth. And all the days that I should live, which you ordained for me, were written in your book, O Lord before they came to be. Psalm 139, verse 13 to verse 16. So our question in this episode of Table Talk is a profound one. We're going to talk about personhood and to ask the question, when does human life begin? Now that's an important issue for today. For the answer to that question can determine our attitude to what we call today abortion rights or women's issues and to the very important issue of bodily integrity, the question of who owns your body and all of that. Let's just begin by considering some of these modern statements that I read recently. A man has no right to tell a woman what to do with her body. My body, my choice. It's just a clump of cells. Oh, so you're against abortion? Well, don't have one then. 77% of anti-abortion leaders are men. 100% of them will never get pregnant. My body, my choice. Abortion is health care. No matter what men think, abortion is a fact of life. Women have always had them. They always have and they always will. It's better if they're safe and regulated. Now all of those statements are used by people who think that human life does not exist before either birth or a certain stage in a pregnancy, perhaps the first trimester, or even birth itself. There certainly are abortion clinics who will abort a baby right up to the point of birth. They will allow the child to be partially born and then kill it before it takes its first breath. And the argument will be that up until a certain point in a pregnancy, a fetus is not a baby. It is a fetus. Oh, incidentally, when did you ever hear of a woman going with her husband to her parents or her friends and announcing the good news? Look, we've got something really good to tell you. We're having a fetus. But by calling what's inside you a fetus rather than a baby, you can dehumanise it. And it's not a person, it's just a thing. 
It's just a clump of cells. It's harder to murder a person than to surgically remove a clump of cells, a fetus. So as Christians, it's important for us to know what the Bible says about being a person and its consequences for the abortion debate. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast, and I'm Bob McAvoy. become a person. When does personhood begin? At conception, at birth, at 20 weeks gestation? That's important because you see a person has certain inalienable rights, including the right to life. You would never dream, if you're anyway sane and rational and decent and honest, you would never dream of killing a person. And if you did kill a person, you would know that you'd be punished whenever the law caught up with you. Killing people is murder. Some people argue that personhood only begins when someone is able to sustain life without assistance. So they will say, an unborn baby is not a person, a non-person. But then what about people on life support machines long term? Are they a non-person too? Can they be put to death, euthanized? What about the so-called useless eaters that are polluting the planet? as they are called in the extreme climate change movement, the Malthusians. Can they be put to death? In Germany, before the Second World War, the Jews were classified as subhumans, the Untermenschen. So they could be classed as being carriers of disease along with the gypsies. They could be identified by making them wear yellow stars, They could be hounded from their homes and put onto the streets like in Kristallnacht. They could be carted off to labour camps and forced labour. They could be experimented on having strange untested substances injected into their bodies. They could be rounded up eventually and taken to gas chambers and put to death. So being a person is a very important concept indeed. When it comes to personhood, the value of human life, where does that begin in the viewpoint of the Bible? Well, I want you to turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And there we're going to read the words of God to the prophet, speaking to the prophet and saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. There was already, even in his mother's womb, there was a relationship between God and this little unborn baby called Jeremiah. God knew him. God sanctified him. In fact, God had ordained all of his days and his ministry. According to that verse, God who created us at first certainly didn't think of baby Jeremiah as a non-person or just a clump of cells. In fact, God was already working out his plan in Jeremiah's life. Turn to Psalm 139. Again, that psalm that we read and sang earlier. 
Verse 13 to 14, where it says, Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now that really is profound. The psalmist is, of course, making the point that we can never, ever hide from God. Even if we were to descend into the pit and darkness and depths of hell, God still sees us and knows us. Let's read that portion. Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. But while he's making that point that God always sees us, the psalmist goes from one extreme of life to the other. Just as much as God sees us in eternity to come, he sees and knows us even before we are born. We can't see a baby in the womb. He's covered or she is covered. Now we know he or she is there. The mother can certainly feel the baby moving. But yet God is already in control of that baby's life. God is holding the reins of the baby's life. God is covering the baby, according to the psalmist. It is God who ordained that the baby should remain under cover until his time to be born has come. Matthew Henry says it was God himself that thus covered us, and therefore he can, when he pleases, discover us. When he hid us from all the world, says Matthew Henry, he did not intend to hide us from himself. And God is making that baby grow and develop. The God who formed Adam out of the dust of the earth is just as actively involved in the formation of this new life. And God is being glorified in a wonderful new human life. What a marvellous thing a baby is. God has made that little human being in his own image, a beautiful work of creation with all the dignity and all the glory that Adam first had at creation. In Psalm 8 and verse 4 to 5, the psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Now with all of that going on, even before we are born, that clump of cells, that fetus that is so easily written off by those who would commit the sin of abortion, is a human person. A person with inalienable human rights. A person with the right to live. And even those who no longer can feed themselves at the other side of life, at the opposite end of life. Those who can no longer clean themselves. Those who are no longer aware of who is around them. Even they still retain that God-given human dignity. That personhood and those specific rights of life. Our old people should be honoured, 
not euthanized. Psalm 71 and verse 9 is the prayer of the psalmist. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Leviticus 19 and 32. You shall stand up before the grey head and honour the face of an old man and you shall fear God. Personhood, dignity, respect, human rights begin at conception in the womb and they continue until the very moment we take our last breath. There are two important challenges that arise from this and they're both about abortion because abortion is a huge debate at the minute in Northern Ireland. What does the Bible say about abortion? Well because a person in the womb is still a person, abortion then becomes murder. And Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 says, Thou shalt not kill. Taking away the life of another human being is murder. Taking away the life of a helpless person is a truly despicable murder. Last year, at the end of 2021, we heard about the case of a six-year-old boy in England. His name was Arthur. And during the lockdown, he was ruthlessly starved and beaten to death by his parents, his father and stepmother, and they videoed their cruelty. It was horrific. I know I, for one, lost sleep worrying, thinking about that wee boy and what he had suffered. How he cried in his hunger, nobody's going to feed me. Taking away the life of a helpless person in a place of safety in his home a place where he should feel secure, is a foul criminal offence. But imagine walking into hospital and into the maternity ward and killing a little baby there in its crib, in its cot. We would be outraged, and rightly so, at such an awful crime. And yet the safest, warmest, most loving place is a mother's womb. And abortionists have no qualms whatsoever about going into there and destroying a small person in that deepest of sanctuaries. One of the objections that's often raised to this is the objection of rape or incest. What if a woman is viciously attacked and raped and becomes pregnant? Surely she should be allowed to dispose of the result of that rape. That's what the argument goes. Strangely, it seems that most rape attacks don't actually result in pregnancy, but for those that do, the continual reminding of the event during the pregnancy and later the raising of the child, all of that will be an awful burden upon a girl whose life will have been changed completely by a pregnancy that she did not want or plan for. Now, we have great sympathy with that. 
We're taught in the scriptures that we are to weep with those who weep. But two wrongs don't make a right. In Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16, we're told that fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. The soul that sinneth shall die. Cannot kill a baby because its father was a bad person. And then sometimes you'll hear the words, it's a woman's right to choose. Do you know, we always have to be compassionate with someone who makes poor life choices. But when we trot out that cliche, that it's a woman's right to dispose of a baby, we're overlooking two things. We're overlooking the fact that the choice was actually made when she and a man engaged in sexual intercourse. The primary purpose of human sexual activity is procreative. If a man and a woman engage in sexual activity and a baby results from that, it absolutely is not the baby's fault. It is what happens. The very best prophylactic is abstinence. Choose to remain chaste until marriage. And parents should teach their children this, and especially Christian parents. I know that's difficult. For there are great pressures in this world and peer pressure among young people and especially teenagers is fierce. We have to teach them Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 which tells them I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 and 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I said that we overlooked two things. The first is about when that choice was made. But the second is that there's a man involved. One of the great problems in society today is absent fathers. Men, especially young men, should be taught responsibility. If they and a girl create a baby together, the man needs to know that what he is getting into is a lifetime commitment. Now these are difficult issues. But the little life inside the womb is a human being, is a person with the right to survive and flourish. And believe me, there are many childless couples who would absolutely love the opportunity to give that little life a home and a family and some love. Let's finish on a gospel note. Is there any hope after abortion? What about those who have gone through the process of abortion? Taking away an innocent life is an appalling sin. Christians are not exempt. I have met Christian parents who look back with great sadness on the fact that as a teenager they were actually involved in an abortion. We need to remind ourselves that there is always forgiveness in Christ for those who repent of their sin and who trust in him. 
Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, Therefore he is also able to save unto the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. That includes people who are guilty because of abortion. And Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, there's an invitation for each and every one of us. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. After a woman has an abortion, I'm told there are a number of emotional responses. Some of these are guilt and hurt and shame. Some people have talked about the awful feeling of guilt that they just can't seem to shake off. Remember that all of our guilt was laid upon Christ when he died for our sins. The hurt that we feel at having taken a life, Psalm 34 and verse 18, tells us that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit and shame. Jesus even takes our shame. He died on a cross of shame for you and me, for every sin that ever was committed. So while we deplore the taking of human life, while we confess that abortion is the most egregious, appalling of sins, there is always forgiveness for the sinner who truly repents. We do not turn such people away. We do not deny them the comforts of Christ. We pray for them. We show them compassion. We demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And we plead with them to repent of their sin, trust in the Lord, and to be saved. If you've been affected by the issues in this podcast and you'd like to talk to someone about your soul, perhaps you're suffering from that sense of guilt and hurt and shame that I've been talking about, click through to the episode notes for this podcast, find the contact details and get in touch. We are your servants for Christ's sake.